Welcome to the Denver United Church Sermon of the Week. Here's a message from Pastor Rob Brendel. Good morning and Happy New Year. I hope you had a wonderful, fun, restful, peaceful Christmas and uh, are off to a, a strong start for the new year. Hey, wanted to let you know one of the rhythms that we value here at Denver United and have done, I think, since we began uh, for 10 years now is we call it awakening, and it's a 21-day time during January. Uh, we start about halfway through January into early February, so we have time to, to get back together and, and plan a little bit. Uh, and it's a time of prayer, fasting, and consecration. And it functions like um, a, a reboot and a refocus. It's part of what we do as people at the start of a year, reorient and prioritize the things that, um, that are most important to us. And of course, as God's people, People, there's nothing more important to us than our own personal relationship with God. Life flows best when it flows from those headwaters. And so awakening is all about energizing and focusing and deepening that time. So structurally, the way that'll work is starting on the 13th of January. That's uh, Monday, uh, not tomorrow, but a week from tomorrow. Then we'll go for 21 days and um, prayer, fasting, and consecration. It's purely voluntary. We'd like to invite you and encourage you to participate. Um, fasting, of course, means going without food. There's a lot of different ways we can do that. Uh, if you have health conditions that make that difficult every year, a couple of people ask me about that, then there are other ways to fast, and we can talk about that if you'd like. The point isn't to make yourself ill, but rather um, to make yourself spiritually hungry and to refocus, okay? So we'll have three prayer meetings corporately per week during that time, Tuesday morning, Thursday morning, and starting this year for the first time, Sunday morning. For those of us who during the work week go in different directions and can't make it here together but want the energizing effect of praying with the family of God, we'll do it Sunday morning. All three of those times will be at 6.30 in the morning here uh, at the church, and we'll just pray together and encourage one another in that time of consecration and deepening in our faith life. Um, fasting is one of those spiritual disciplines that is a little bit arcane and maybe um, for some of us has been part of our faith life, but for many others it seems inaccessible or old-fashioned. Uh, and it's something, Mari, that I know is, is, is you're passionate about. Yes. Rob asked if I would share about fasting this morning, and I was like, absolutely. And you're like, you're insane. But, I, but truly, fasting, I look forward to this time of the year more than any time of the year. I actually... I can't say I like fasting because it's brutal, right? It's brutal. But I, I love the process of what fasting does in your life. More than any other spiritual practice, by, by a long shot, I have seen fasting produce more fruit, more breakthrough, more change in my life than any, any other practice, spiritual practice that I can participate in that I am so, like, if you come talk to me after the service and you're like, I don't know about fasting, I don't, I've tried, it doesn't work, come talk to me and I will convince you I will tell you stories and miracles that God has done in my life. I wish I had time. Maybe I'll get another chance but, um, to, do, to share, but come talk to me. And here's why. Um, there's a podcast I listen to every year called Fasting, or um, A Diet Changes the Way You Look, Fasting Changes the Way You See. And it's so true. And the reason why is that we're believers, right? And we're living with the life of God in us, but we're also living in this fallen, fallen world. And... There's, we compete, our flesh competes for lordship. The kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light is competing for lordship 
in our lives. And fasting breaks down the wall. It is literally a supernatural thing that breaks through strongholds, bondages in your life that keep you from walking in the freedom that God has for you and to keep you from knowing him in a deeper way. And um, another thing this podcast says that I love is, is fasting reminds you that your body and your flesh is not the boss of mm. you, that God is the boss of you. And so fasting, like, it, it breaks through. If there's something in your life that you have, you have struggled with that is like a thorn in your flesh, that it, it, it moves you to tears and brokenness, Try fasting. It will break it. It'll break it off of your life. And then number two, if you long to know God, but you sometimes you feel like you're far from Him, you want to know Him in a more intimate way. Sometimes you look at other people worshiping or whatever. You're like, I just want. I, I feel like I don't know God like that person, or like I want to know God. Try fasting. You will meet God, and it won't be during the fast. I'll, I'll warn you. It, it, it's afterward. You will see a change. Things that you struggled with before or walls that you felt like were in between you and God, all of a sudden you'll be worshiping and you'll just feel this openness of mm. heaven because there's a blessing that is on fasting because you, you, honor, you honor God, you're killing your flesh, and you're making more room for God. And so do it. Join us mm. next Sunday. So there's a lot of ways you can do it. Um, we'll, we'll ask you to take this week and just think and pray about it. Some of it is going to be driven by your schedule, your work, and life flow. Uh, you can fast a one meal a day. Many people will, will eat breakfast and lunch and fast dinner, you know, the sundown to sundown, according to the ancient Jewish tradition. And um, we take in more than enough calories, virtually all of us as modern Americans, in two meals to keep us healthy and sustained. Uh, but missing that time, both causes us to say, like Mari said, to our body, you're not in charge, to our stomach, you're not the boss, and to, to God, in effect, I want a pizza, but I want you more. And so it's a, it's a constant reminder uh, of the choice I'm making. And then secondly, it opens up new time, uh, a window where we would otherwise be eating dinner, we can take, or lunch, maybe that works better for you, or whatever, take and um, use that time to... to Go deeper in our relationship with God. Dive into the Word of God like we're going to talk about this morning uh, or something like that. Others, others may choose to fast one day, every, you know, every other day or something like that entirely, or perhaps um, to fast a type of food, the things that give us comfort, um, like uh, maybe you eat vegetables and fruit. You know, nothing is going to drive the flesh out of you like eating vegetables and fruit for three weeks. Um, and so, a lot of different ways to do that. We'll share some resources with you this week. Um, we can send out that podcast and maybe some other. There's a book that we've referenced in the past um, that's helpful if it's a new spiritual discipline for you. You have a week to think and pray about it. We'll kick off together after next Sunday. So, we'll talk about it again next week and then start on Monday. Also, wanted to highlight that on the 19th of January, we'll have a worship night there in the middle of our awakening time um, at our customary spot on Sunday night. But focused on this time of awakening, prayer, fasting, consecration, and going deep and, and uh, getting rooted in our relationship with Jesus to start the year. Sound good? All right, Mari, will you pray for us as we jump into the Word? God, we thank you for this new year. God, we thank you for new beginnings. God, we thank you that the old is, is gone and the new has come. And God, we welcome your newness in, your, in our spirits. God, we want all that you have for us this year in 2020. So I just pray that you would speak to us, that you would guide us in the fast, and that, Lord, more than anything, we would just say yes. Yes, I'm willing. God, do everything you want to do in me. Um, we just pray your blessing over the word as it's taught this morning, and we open our hearts to receive, Lord, in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. So my daughter, Ellie, who is an 18-year-old college freshman, she and I, since uh, her early childhood, have shared an affinity for goats. And you're like, oh, yeah, the goat thing. But this was way before goats were in vogue. Like, I know goats are in right now, but before, when people were like, why goats? That's so weird. We love goats. So now we're kind of early adopters in the culture craze. Well, this Christmas, um, the gift that I enjoyed most getting for my daughter was also for myself. I got the two of us uh, a session of goat yoga, (laughs) which was revelationary. It was fantastic. Okay, so uh, we went and did goat yoga, which literally is, I I was wondering, what does this mean? Is it a metaphor for something? No, you actually do yoga while goats climb around on you. Um, It was fabulous. Uh, they're adorable, and it was, it was a visceral, uh, immersive experience with goats. I had I never done yoga before, it, and so I see some of you, like, looking at me. I, I saw that involuntary flash of judgment. I, I'm that guy. Sorry, I had, did yoga for the first time at 45. It's like I had sushi for the first time at 34. You know, there's those few things like yoga and sushi that if you don't do them, people are like, what? You don't eat sushi? <laughs> Neanderthal, you know, and I, something about me likes not doing those things, um, but I tried yoga for the first time, and it was, you know, I was like, oh, yoga, why am I going to pay to have someone stretch me out? Well, okay, so those of you who do yoga or teach it, you're laughing at me, and you should, because you're doing these positions, and then you start to sewing machine, and you look around, and the room was about half yoga ninjas in their yoga pants, and half people that don't ever go to yoga, but wanted the novelty of the goats. That was me. And those of us um, who were in that situation were like shaking. Um, but my daughter's there, and I have a small, impossibly adorable baby goat on my back, so I didn't want to like buckle and fall. And, and, and everyone's taking pictures, and I didn't want to miss that moment. So it was, it was, I was sore the next day just from holding these postures. What I learned is that yoga uh, strengthens different parts of your core and your being by establishing different postures, right? And so there's nothing like doing the downward dog with a downward goat on your back. It was, it was a fascinating experience. But my favorite was heart center. You know, it's like 55 minutes of shaking muscles and like one minute of heart center. <sighs> and they never let you stay at heart center long enough for your muscles to recover. It was brutal. All right. But I, I, I was reflecting toward the end of that time on how our hearts function similarly to our bodies. There are postures of our body that strengthen us for life outside the yoga classroom. Likewise, there are postures of heart that when we're attentive to developing them, strengthen us for life outside the sanctuary. That's our series for this January. We begin each year at Denver United as our custom by focusing on our personal relationships with God. Not going to talk about outreach, our mission to the lost or the poor. We're not going to talk about community and all the different things that we'll spend this year diving into. We're going to talk about you, me, us as individual sons and daughters of God and what the Word of God teaches about how to deepen that relationship. We're going to start in Psalm chapter 1 and look at the early Psalms for this series. So if you look there with me in verse 1, the Bible teaches, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. But not the wicked. 
They are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. For the Lord watches over the path of the godly. But the path of the wicked leads to destruction. We're going to zoom in on verses 2 and 3. These righteous ones, these saints of God, who seem to have a little bit more figured out. These are the ones to whom the first several psalms refer. And they hold up the righteous, the children of God, those who are living bits of the kingdom of heaven here and now on earth. We get some secrets about how they do it. They delight in the law of the Lord. Our title this morning is Grounded. We've talked many times over the months and years about the virtue and importance of being established in the Word of God, of filling our hearts with it and diving deep into it and knowing our way around it and having it in us so that in the moments of pressure, what's in us is what's going to come out of us. Hebrews chapter 4 famously teaches the Word of God is alive and powerful. It's no mere written tome. It's more than words and paragraphs on a page. It is the intersection of heaven and earth. It's how God installs his kingdom that will be always there and then, here and now. It is part and parcel to the gospel of Jesus and our experience of it. And so it's important. And we'll teach and talk about it again. It strikes me that many of us are well aware that God places value on his word and that it's generally important for us to do it. Just like many of us, I would say all of us, are not unaware that um, the American Dental Association recommends flossing for optimal oral health, right? Very few people don't floss for lack of information. Like, I didn't know. No one told me about this newfangled flossing thing. Reading the Bible is kind of like that. You hear us talk about it, and we, we maybe give it a nod, but w- there is a separation. There's a, 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 a chasm between our understanding and our experience or our practice. And what I want to do is challenge us to close that chasm. We start the year with... Not New Year's resolutions any longer. No, we're postmodern, enlightened ones. We start the new year now with cynicism about New Year's resolutions. I mean, there are memes about the memes about the New Year's resolutions that we break before we even make them, such that nobody even asks, what are your New Year's resolutions anymore? They're like, well, you don't do New Year's resolutions, obviously. Ha, ha, ha. You know? But what I want to do is actually fight a little bit to redeem the concept of the New Year's resolution. Because I think it is something that is built into the rhythm that God established with the calendar year. There's something about the start of a new year, the reboot of the four seasons, a refreshing, a time of reprioritizing what matters most to us. Over the course of a year, capitulating in the holidays, it's easy for the tail to start wagging the dog. And so at the new year, We get a hold of our lives and decide what we value, and we let our values drive us anew. Rather than the tail wagging the dog, we say, no, I'm going to wag the tail, right? And that's a virtuous endeavor. Now, the reason that New Year's resolutions have become the subject of jokes 
and memes is because we put too much weight on them. Like there's some magical experience when the calendar rolls over to a new year and all of a sudden all our problems disappear and we're just going to ease into being a new person, right? New year, new you. No, new year, same you, right? And it's because of those fanciful and uh, ultimately fruitless ideals around the new year that we've rejected New Year's resolutions and sort of thrown out the baby with the bathwater. I think, however, insofar as the rhythm of the season leads us rightly to think about ourselves, our life, our values, and our priorities anew, it's worth our attention. And that's why we begin the calendar year this way. There's no more virtuous endeavor than becoming a person of the word. Knowing God's word, having his word stored up in us is life and power and hope. There is so much truth. There is so much victory in God's word. It's worth a resolution. But to say we're going to talk about it and wish for it and imagine that the New Year fairy is going to come wave a wand and we're suddenly going to have this reservoir of God's word in our heart and this value for time with him in his word baked into our life, that's a pipe dream. We get what we go after. (coughs) And I think maybe we haven't gone after God's word as a priority beyond hearing it and kind of giving it the thumbs up like is because when we get into it, if we're honest, God's word can feel inaccessible and old-fashioned. You know, we'll start off the year saying, I'm going to read through the Bible this year, and we start with Genesis. I'm like, oh, this is great. It's riveting. It's a story. It's kind of scandalous. Exodus, it continues, and, and then it arcs, and then we get to Leviticus and die. And so most New Year's resolutions involving reading through the Bible in a year, they peter out like mid-March when we're into high, like the, the dietary restrictions and how to lance the boils and like what on earth is this? If we're honest, too many of us have viewed because we've been taught or modeled to view God's word like a religious obligation or a duty. And you find in the first Psalms that they read like the secrets of the saints of God. Those that have the life that we wish for. Here's a little backstage pass. Here's a private glimpse about what they do. And here, I love in verse 2 what we discover. They, those saints of God, the righteous ones, they don't just read the word of God. They don't recognize its power and authority. Listen, they delight in the law of the Lord. And I would suggest, friends, that you'll never be truly grounded in God's word until you believe that it will be delightful. You're never going to get grounded in God's word going at it as a duty and an obligation. I believe this is one of those subtle deceptions of the enemy. If he can't have us in hell, he's going to have us miserable on the way to heaven powerless and impotent, banging our head against a religious wall, but not wanting any of the other religious people to know it. So we fake the funk, but really we can't make heads or tails out of the Bible, and we go on believing it's some religious duty, some box we have to check, but it's miserable, and we can't make heads or tails out of it. See, the saints of God delight 
in the law of the Lord. And when you recognize that even if it is not now, it will be delightful to you. When you make room and give time for it to be installed in you, you'll find a grounding that will last you a lifetime. And so this year, I challenge you to start off the year to shift, to move from duty to delight in the way you interact with God's Word. I remember as a child, my parents always tried to motivate us to read. They would pay us or reward us. You know, I wanted to play like Nintendo, but my parents would always say, no, you need to read. It's exercising your mind and all this and that, which I now tell my kids. Um, But there was a time that it clicked. It went from doing it in order to earn video game time or in order to earn rewards or allowance or whatever to doing it because I found myself loving it. I remember in college sitting on the quad and I studied engineering and so it was constant long um, math problems really and, and I discovered like Fitzgerald and I remember reading Tender is the Night and like weeping on the quad under a tree not because it was assigned or because I was getting paid by my dad but because under my nose I had allowed this value system to get installed in me and it started bearing fruit. That's the way the Word of God is going to be. It's going to be delightful. And I want you to experience that this year. Psalm 40 says, I take joy in doing your will. It's not burdensome. It's not this straight and narrow walk that's miserable for me, says the saint of God. Why? Because your instructions are written on my heart. I don't often stand up here and paint myself the paragon of virtue or the example of right. Sometimes we try to sell the word of God and life with Jesus and say, oh, it's really not that hard. Just just do it like I do it. I'm just like you. I'm a man trying to follow Jesus in a world that's fallen and consuming. But listen, over the course of years, I have come to a place where in this one area, I want to say to you, hey, trust me here. Let me persuade you. Follow me in this way because I love the Word of God. It is for me an anchor of strength, a fountain of wisdom. My time in the Word in the mornings has long ceased to be a duty or an obligation. It is for me nourishment. It's like eating breakfast. And my rhythm looks like the same blanket on the same spot on the couch and reading through uh, a couple of chapters, maybe in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and then praying them. It's just become a sort of intuitive uh, process for me. It's not so much that I want you to read the Word of God the way I do. I want you to experience the delight in God's Word that I experience. So many times in the course of a day, I find myself involuntary saying this. Let's look at what does the Word of God say? You know, while parenting or, or leading a staff or running a, a business or pastoring a congregation or whatever, I find myself saying just instinctively, what does the Word of God say? And it takes the pressure off of me to have to be a genius or have to come up with something in every moment. And I find over and over again, two, five, ten times a day, times 365 days a year, it's reliable. It bears out. It's true. It's trustworthy. 
I think probably my staff get tired of hearing me say it. They'll knock on my door and come in to talk about some situation, and I'll answer their question with a question. What does the Word of God say? We'll sit there on the couch and open up the Bible and look at God's Word together. And it's amazing how relevant and practical those words written thousands of years ago are to this situation today. (coughs) And in my own life, personal, day-to-day, moment-to-moment, God's Word comes to mind. I don't have to stop and think any longer. Wait, what does the Bible say? I should look up a Bible verse on here. I should text Pastor Darius, hey, any verses on this issue? It just sort of comes out instinctively. If I'm feeling shaky, I find the Word of God comes to mind and says, stand firm and let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in Him is not in vain. If I find myself drawn by the flesh and I'm wanting to get mine, I'm tired of serving everyone else, I hear Jesus say, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. If I'm struggling to fit in and feeling insecure living in this post-Christian city, The word of God comes to mind. We are citizens of heaven. This is not our home, and we are eagerly awaiting a Savior from there. If I'm feeling vulnerable, the word of God comes to mind. God is my refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. So I will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. If I find myself slipping into that old posture of striving to perform, I remember the Apostle Paul who wrote, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If I'm feeling lost, the word of God comes to mind. I will guide you, God writes, along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and I will watch over you. If I find myself fearing men, The word of God comes to mind. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When I'm feeling crushed, the word of God comes to mind. I will be glad and rejoice in your unfailing love, for you have seen my troubles, and you care about the anguish of my soul. If I'm fearing the circumstances that a day brings, the word of God comes to mind that tells me the righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. If I find myself groping for direction and uncertain which way to go, the word of God comes to mind. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And as these words involuntarily inform my soul, the power, the living, active part of the word of God snaps my soul back into form. And I don't have to choose any longer. Hey, I'm going to believe that, not this. It just refreshes me. I'm like, oh yeah, that's who I am. Oh yeah, that's what it's about. Oh yeah, that's what I believe. That's where I'm going and that's how I'm going to live because my God is sure and true and I may waver, but he never does. And all this just happens and it's delightful and it's how I bear up in this world and I wish that for you. But you may 
hear this and say, that's great for you. I don't feel it though, man. I read it and I'm not getting that. You're getting. I don't know if you're reading a different book than I am or a different translation, but I don't find reading the Bible delightful. (coughs) And I understand. I would suggest in response that nothing worth doing happens instantaneously. We've been drugged by a culture that feigns satisfaction in 20-second TikTok videos and 140-character tweets. But there is, in authentic spirituality, discipline. They delight those saints of God that seem to have the code cracked, that have figured it out that go through hard times like the rest of us, but they don't seem to get ground up and spit out by them. They delight in the law of the Lord. Listen, meditating on it day and night. They didn't get a delight in the law of the Lord pill. The Bible reading fairy didn't come in response to their New Year's resolution wish and make them just suddenly find God's word delightful. That came as the fruit, as the result of a time of meditating on his word day and night. What's the point? A grounded heart requires great intentionality. I admire people who adjust their diet for the sake of health as we learn more and have either recognized they're lactose intolerant or gluten intolerant or whatever. You know, they don't digest meat well and so they go plant-based. I think that takes an amazing amount of discipline. But when we recognize one thing is bad for us, something else is going to be good for us, but it's not what we naturally crave, what do we do? We think it out, we plan it out, and then we take the time it takes to bank that turn to turn that corner, right? Because if we've spent 25 years nourishing ourselves with fast food, and then we date a girl who's plant-based, and we're like, hey, this thing is, everything about it is great, except she's not going to eat what I eat. I'm going to have to learn to eat what she eats, and I don't like plants, right? Then we decide the the Big Mac or the girl, and usually the girl wins, and so it We're motivated at that point. But you don't find yourself craving a wild mixed field greens salad the next day. You find yourself holding your nose and downing the thing, the smoothie or whatever she gave you. But you wake up a few months later and the strangest thing happens. You're out with the guys and you're like, you know what? I need some comfort food. I'm going to treat myself. And you get like a big cheeseburger and you feel sick afterward. Why? Because over time, the way our bodies are wired is we hunger for what we feed on. When we make a discipline out of it for a time, we find ourselves, like I've I've talked to people who say, hey, I stopped eating gluten and it was an adjustment and I found myself craving it at first, but now I feel better than I've ever felt. I think that's amazing. Your heart works the same way. Psalm 37 says, they, these secret saints of God, They made God's law their own. So they're never going to slip from his path. They made God's law their own. They didn't say, hey, God, that's your thing. I'm going to borrow from it. I'm going to observe it. I'm going to come tip my cap at it once a day for a couple minutes. I'm going to read the verse of the day. They made it their own. They internalized it. They're like, this is my thing. Yeah, maybe gluten-free is a fad for you, but it's going to be my lifestyle. And they embraced it. We know how to make our bodies feel good. I wish this for your soul. I wish it for your heart. 
So what does it look like to get grounded in God's word? There's a few um, practicals that I'd like to throw out for you to chew on over the course of this month. I think it starts with a decision that has teeth. Do you know what I mean by that? As opposed to a flimsy decision that we make, like a New Year's resolution, that is only going to happen if the New Year's resolution fairy comes and sprinkles pixie dust on it, because I'm not putting anything into it. That's just kind of a whim. But the decisions we make that we really measure twice and cut once on, like if you're going to stop eating bread for the rest of your life, one, I salute you. That's amazing. And two, you don't do that willy-nilly. You really think about it. And then you got to plan your budget because it costs more because gluten-free is, is big business right now. So you got to buy stuff that's like bread but harder, less satisfying, and more expensive. Painful, I know. But you do it. And then you learn to like it. And then you find out of the 17 brands, the one that actually tastes like bread. I'm amazed at how, how diligent and focused and laser-like you all are when you figure out what makes your body feel better. That's awesome. Do it with your heart. A decision with teeth. And then it takes dedicated time. That decision has to be borne out, right? Dedicated time. Pick your time of day. For me, it's in the morning when I get started because by the time I get to the end of the day, I'm mentally exhausted and I feel like I'm giving God my scraps. Maybe going to bed is the time that works for you. Or at your lunch break, you can pull away. I do people over lunch, so it doesn't work for me. But right in the morning before the kids are up, that's the time that I do it. Or after I drop the kids to school sometimes, I'll come here and hour after hour, day after day in this room, I'll just read the word of God and pray for you. That's my dedicated time. What's yours going to be? Schedule first, I would say, what matters most. Carve out the time to make that decision meaningful. And then find a reading plan. If your reading plan is, I'm going to kind of do the magic finger, you know, open the Bible and there, speak to me, Lord. That's a little bit flimsy. If your reading plan is the verse of the day, that too, I mean, that verse is going to have power, but the power is in the Word of God. And I would suggest if your reading plan is a devotional where it's one, one sentence of God's holy inspired word and then five paragraphs of a leading author's thoughts, great with that. Read the, bio, read the author's thoughts later, but I would read the paragraphs of the word of God because no matter how godly that author is, his words are not the inspired word of God. So take time and Find a Bible reading plan that actually takes you through the Bible. I suggest one of the many one-year Bible reading plans. Give yourself a year and a third, a year and a half to do it so it doesn't turn into, uh, into a whip that cracks over you and, and a, a duty, right? If you get behind and you're like, oh man, I have to read the Bible to get caught up, that kind of defeats the point. Allow that once in a while you're not going to do it. And maybe you double up the next day, maybe you don't. But find a plan that takes you through the Bible. Google Bible, one-year Bible reading plan, and you'll find 5,000 of them. Pick one that works for you. So a meaningful decision, a dedicated focus time, make a plan, and then let me suggest cross-training. Keeping the Word of God from becoming this ritualistic uh, task moment requires integrating the disciplines, just like when we work out, right? And so read and pray together. How do I do that? That seems like 201 spirituality. Man, just reading the Bible is enough. Well, no, really, it is that easy. Look, look at a couple of the verses I, uh, I read earlier or, or recited. God is my refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble, Psalm 46. You, you read that, 
And then after you read the chapter, you, hi- you underline or highlight a couple that stand out to you. And you go back and like, God, thank you that you are my refuge and strength. That you're an ever-present help in, in times of trial. So Lord, help me not to give way. Even if it feels like the earth is falling apart and the mountains are crumbling into the sea and everything is ruined. Help me to stand. So cross-training, praying God's word deep-seeds it into your heart. And then lastly, seek out a communal experience around the word of God. This is what United Groups are all about. And fortunately for you, at the end of this month, United Groups elevator comes back down to the bottom floor. New groups will come online. The doors open wide for lots of us to get involved. I know a bunch of you are in a group. If you're not, experiencing God's word together with other believers is a fantastic way to cause the word of God to come alive. My youth pastor had it right. He said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. It's why we pay money to go to a gym to have a trainer tell us to lift the tractor tire and put it over there. And we can lift blunt household objects in our own house, like just lift your dryer and move it. But we want, we pay to have somebody help us be motivated to do it in the context of community that spurs us on, right? It's the same way with the word of God. And listen, last thing, and we're out of here. <clears throat> Take heart. This is where the word of God deviates from every other best practice resolution. You don't have to take the plunge and just hope it's going to work. Like I remember years ago, I got convinced by a, 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 um, a holistic medicine person who was wonderful that I needed supplements. And it was a lot of, it was like $235 of supplements right there, you know, and they sell them. And, and so I was like, oh, wow, that's a lot of money. And you got to kind of take the plunge. Has anyone done taking the supplement plunge ever? Come on, be honest. You live in Colorado. I know it's more of you than that. All right, so we, before you take that plunge, here's what you think. Even the healthiest among you, you're like, is this additive or nutrient or herb that I can't even pronounce really going to do anything for me. I got to drop the 230 bucks and then just hope that, that this guy knows what he's talking about and this is really going to help. And still we do it. But listen to what the Word of God says, verse 3. They, those secret saints, they're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither. They prosper in all they do. The Word of God never returns void. How do you know it's true? Because it's already happened in your life. You've already seen it. Jesus said, if you abide in me, and listen, my words abide in you, you will bear much fruit. Guaranteed. You know exactly what's going to happen. And the first of the early returns is you're going to find God's word shifting from duty to delight. You find yourself delighting in it. And the more you hunger for it, the more you feed on it. The more you feed on it, the more you hunger for it. And the more fruit grows in your life. And a year from now, you're not going to need convincing. It's not going to take a discipline. You're going to be having the conversation that Pastor Darius and I were having down here after service, comparing notes about how we're diving into the Word this year. He's like, hey, this year, I'm, let me make sure you got it right. I got it right. Sorry. I just want to make a quick example. He was like, gosh, I got to make sure I get it right. Oh, yeah. I'm zooming out to get kind of the grand narrative, the way the whole thing um, fits together. So I'm going to be reading this way and then that way, but trying to go through the whole Bible in a shorter amount of time to get the big picture. And, And that doesn't, that wasn't a sermon saying, hey, you should, um, you should really prioritize the Word of God. That's already installed. This is the delight. 
bearing fruit and the fruit reproducing. And that's the conversation you're going to be having this time next year. Trust me. This is, friends, the work of the gospel. This is what Jesus came to do. We spent Advent talking about how the good news isn't, hey, hold on, fight the good fight, be religious, and one day you'll get to go to heaven. The good news is heaven's coming to earth, here and now. The word of God is where it intersects our path. It's where the rubber meets the road. It's how we install heaven's operating system. It's our cheat code. All God's power and life, such that Jesus, the revelation of God, who was in very nature God, called himself the Word. What better way to start our year, amen? Would you stand with me? Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for my friends. Thank you for the work you're doing in each of our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would make us hunger and thirst for righteousness and you would fill us up. I pray that we would become people of the Word, grounded and strong and thriving the fruit that would grow from our lives would have no end. I pray that you would give my friends vision and faith for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you all. Amen. We hope you've been encouraged this week. For more information or to submit a prayer request, go to denverunited.com. 